0: You are listening to the Dan Patrick show on Fox sports radio. Let's bring in Gary Klein. Who's uh, kind enough to uh, join us this morning, covers the Rams for the LA times. How would you sum up last night's performance, Gary?
1: Well, I think for the Rams, uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo used a term along the lines of, it was kind of a soul sucking drive that, uh, that first 18 play March that the, the 49ers just kind of ran it down their throat. And, And as you mentioned, Kyle uh, Kyle Shanahan's just been masterful at not putting Garoppolo in situations where he's going to make mistakes. And the last few times they've played the Rams, uh, he's played error-free, and, and we've seen what happened.
0: Were you surprised last night?
1: You know, Dan, I will say I chose the 49ers to win that game just because of all the turmoil that was going on with the Rams. And some of that was good in terms of, you know, the Von Miller trade. Odell Beckham Jr. is acquired. But then when they lost Robert Woods uh, just a few days before the games, uh, kind of an unheralded player that is really key to that offense. And again, with, you know, with the history, with the 49ers, it just seemed like the Rams were ripe to be beat for the second time in a row.
0: Explain to the audience the value of Robert Woods.
1: Well, this is a, a player, Dan, that actually I've covered when he was a freshman at USC. So I've seen him grow up. Um, and even from those early days, he's a guy that is not going to complain, a, a very talented receiver, but really does everything, especially in the blocking game. He's a guy that, that they match up against defensive linemen, linebackers, and just kind of very unselfish and gives Cooper Cup and other receivers an opportunity to to run all kinds of routes. A a great receiver in his own right. But really, just from a team leader standpoint, from all those things that you don't see necessarily uh, in the stat box, uh, he's been instrumental to their success since he signed as a free agent uh, in 2017.
0: Can Odell Beckham Jr. fill that role?
1: You know, I don't think that they're going to ask uh, o- Odell Beckham Jr. to to actually fill that role because he's not a blocker. <laughs> At least he hasn't been, you know, throughout his career, not not uh, to the level of Robert Woods. So Sean McVay is going to have to figure out how to get him involved. And of course, early in the season, you know, they they signed to Sean Jackson to give them that uh, deep threat. And then they really couldn't figure out a way to get him any touches so uh, McVeigh uh, didn't waste any time last night OBJ got the first play of the game they went to him so it's obvious they want to get him involved but uh, it's going to take him more than one day to fit into that offense
0: I don't know what to expect out of Matthew Stafford because you know wait first couple of months pretty good But, you know, when it comes to big games, we want to see what he does in a big game. And it feels like this success or failure of this team might be more predicated on Matthew Stafford than Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, or Odell Beckham Jr. What do you make of Matthew Stafford so far?
1: Well, when they traded for Matthew Stafford, that was their first sign, right, that the Rams are all in. Okay, they've got to get to the Super Bowl this year with Stan Kroenke and SoFi Stadium. They have to be playing in that game. And uh, I think the first part of the season, Stafford was an MVP candidate. He looked, he looked great. Um, but these last few games, he has made some decisions uh, and some plays that really for Rams fans, I mean, I'm in the press box, but you can almost hear fans going, oh my God, that's what Jared Goff did. He's had some series like that. And, uh, you know, he's a veteran quarterback. My sense is that with.
0: Gary froze up there this by week, go. he'll
1: come back. But uh, this, the ultimate test is going to be when they get to the playoffs.
0: Better team, the Rams or Chargers?
1: Uh, I would say the Rams at this point, but uh, Justin Herbert is a terrific quarterback and uh, getting back to that pressure, Dan, you know, I, I can't even imagine a scenario if the Chargers really start playing well and somehow get to the Super Bowl and Dean Spanos is in that owner suite for the Super Bowl instead of Stan Kroenke. That would be an absolute <laughs> disaster for the Rams.
0: Handicap the Rams the second half of the season. by week and then you got the Packers coming up. Uh, how tough is this schedule going to be?
1: Well, I think for a, even for a team that was playing as well as the Rams, this was going to be a tough stretch. You've got... Road trips to Green Bay, to Minnesota, to Baltimore, all on holiday weekends, by the way. Uh, Jacksonville comes into town, but you got to go on the road to play the Cardinals as well. Uh, and then also the Seahawks come come to your place. And the 49ers, who've been invincible against the Rams, finish the season uh, at SoFi Stadium. So it is not an easy schedule by any means. And if the Rams can't get it together, Uh, they're going to have some issues.
0: Yeah, because you could end up as the five seed. And I mentioned you could be going to Dallas and then going to Green Bay or Tampa Bay. And I don't know, is this team equipped to be able to string together a couple of uh, on-the-road playoff wins?
1: Well, under McVay, they've been pretty successful on the road. But, you know, the NFC is so stacked. And if you look at the Rams, they've only beaten one team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, early in the season that has a winning record. All, they lost to the Tennessee Titans. They lost to the Cardinals. Um, you know, they and they're even losing now to the San you know, to the 49ers, who are probably better than that than that three and five record they had. But they've got a lot to prove. They they looked like a Super Bowl team early in the season. But 17 games, the longest season in NFL history, um, they've got they've got a long road ahead.
0: What about the uh, the Cardinals? Are they still the team to beat?
1: Well, they still are, Dan, but, you know, going into the season, I don't I don't think I'm alone in thinking I keep waiting for the Cardinals to be the Cardinals, right, to, to blow it, to not be able to maintain this. Uh, but when they were winning, you know, the week before with Colt McCoy, without even Kyler Murray, uh, they do seem like they have some staying power and that defense is pretty good even without J.J. Watt. Uh, so I don't think you can at this point. 10 games in expect the Cardinals to fold like they might've in the past. And the Rams lost a great opportunity last night, uh, to gain some ground.
0: Gary, thank you. We appreciate your time. And, uh, uh, hopefully we uh, get an opportunity to cross paths again. Thank you.
1: Thanks Dan. Be sure to catch the live edition
0: of the Dan Patrick show weekdays at 9am Eastern 6am Pacific on Fox sports radio and the I Heart radio app.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search
0: FSR to listen live. He's Dwayne Wade, three-time NBA champ, Turner sports NBA analyst, and has a new book out, a photographic memoir. It's called Dwayne. It's released today featuring never-before-seen photos from his life on and off the court. And, uh, of course, he's doing a whole lot since... uh, he uh, stopped playing basketball. You know what, Dwayne? We talk about LeBron as a high school football player. Nobody ever talks about you in your high school football career. Why? Why is that? At Richards High School, what kind of player were you?
2: It was short lived, Dad. It was very. It was about a two-three year run. It was very short lived.
0: Okay, but uh, are there any highlights?
2: Um. You know what. I believe I was, I thought I was a better football player than I probably was. Like in my mind, I was like, I was the next Randy Moss, but really, (laughs) I probably wasn't that good.
0: (laughs) Did you mind getting hit?
2: I didn't, it wasn't my favorite thing, you know, like I, you're not waking up saying I want to get hit. Like it wasn't my favorite thing to do at all. So eh, I chose the right sport.
0: Your attack mode. When did you start attacking the basket?
2: Well, I've always I've always done that, you know. When I when I was younger, I was so small, and you know I couldn't get my shot off over big guys, so I had to use my speed and my quickness. So um, that's the only way I was able to score or play with my dad or my brothers or my uncles. So I, I always had that.
0: Who did you model your game after when you were younger?
2: Well, Dan, growing up in Chicago, Michael Jordan. I mean, it's you know it's the greatest player you know in my generation in my time, and to be able to grow up. And in Chicago, and be able to t- tune in to WGN News, and to be able to watch my favorite player uh, night in and night out. I mean, every move he did, and everything he you know he said, how he walked. I, I tried to emulate everything. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but at, at what point do you realize you can't be Michael that style?
2: Um, I, I mean, I I just kept trying. I I feel like if you know, I, I say this in my book. I feel like if you reach for the stars, I mean, if you reach for the moon, you'll come down with a few stars. And so, you know, if I shoot to be someone on the level of Michael Jordan, um, then me falling short of that is still still pretty high up.
0: What is the picture in the book that brings out emotion? Is there one that you would say, whenever I look at that photo, it yeah. elicits something?
2: Yeah, it's, it's the photo um, in the first quarter of my book where you will see the building that I grew up in. Um, it's on 59th and Prairie. And when I look at that photo, just all the – all the moments of my life comes comes rushing back. You know, all I can think about is little Dwayne. You know, I can think about Dwayne, and I can think about, can think about uh, everything that his family, you know, was going through. Everything that he he went through. Everything he's been through. And and to be here right now, so I can look back at that photo, and I could be proud of my journey. But I also could look back at that photo and see the responsibility in my journey, uh, because I know that there's other you know young Dwayne's out there. Um, then that, that needs the same thing I needed. And they need that 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 idol, that vision, that image.
0: Because you make a wrong turn, turn. You you make a wrong decision. Like like you're it's different where you grew up. You know, if you yeah. if you make the wrong choice, you know, it could be something really serious, something really bad. Mm-hmm. Did you have sort of somebody who was watching out, a guardian angel watching out for you?
2: I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've had so many so many um, guardian angels in my life you know I, I've watched my my mother and I talk about it in my book I watched my mother take the wrong step or take a step that just it took her a while to get back from you know what I mean it's like I can't say it's the wrong step because it's the step in her journey and her path um that you know that I needed to be able to to take the different step you know like okay I'm not going left I'm going right uh, but we all have those moments, right? We all have those moments where we take a step and sometimes it, it takes us a little long to get back up and get back on the right path. And so for me as a father, that's been my main goal. My main goal has been how do I help, you know, as much as possible? How do I, how do I help uh, eliminate those those steps that take you a long time to get up from?
0: But do you think you would have been the basketball player, the man you are, if you had grown up in your environment that you're in now, that your kids are growing up in? Um, if that makes sense to you, like what you, where you grew up, how you grew up, as opposed to having a little easier life, uh, would you have been the same kind of player? Do you think?
2: I mean, it would have looked a little different. You know, I look at someone like Steph Curry and you know, Steph Curry grew up with his father in the NBA, you know, obviously grew up you know, having a very great life, uh, from the, from the standpoint of the, the, the visual of, you know, successful father mother and dad together, you know, in the family. And look at him, you know, he still goes out and accomplish things that uh, the, no one in the game has seen yet. And so if their hunger um, is inside of you to to want to be great individually, if you want something for your life, um, then I don't think it. I don't think it matters from that standpoint.
0: Did the gangs leave you alone?
2: They did. I was covered. My family was my family had some high positions in games when I was growing up. So they kind of left me alone. Let me play basketball.
0: How did that work out?
2: Well, it worked out. It worked out good from from the sense of, you know, I didn't, have, I never had to worry about, you know, anything from the standpoint of someone trying to take advantage of me because of the family that I grew up in. You know, it was more so like, oh, that's Deanna, little brother, leave him alone. <laughs> you know, my sister had a lot of rank in the city of Chicago. And so they didn't mess with me. They didn't mess with our family a lot.
0: Were they, af- they afraid of your sister?
2: Yeah, my sister had hands, Dan. Like my sister. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't afraid of me. They afraid of my older sister. <laughs> um,
0: I want you to play GM. We were just talking about this. I'm gonna let you start your team with Steph or KD. You get them their entire career.
2: Ooh. Do they both stay healthy their entire
0: career? Their career is their career. Steph's been oh. injured. KD's been injured.
2: Okay. Oh, uh, that's a tough one. <sighs> I'm going to go with Steph.
0: That's what I went with. Why did you go with Steph over KD?
2: Well, it it, does, it won't make any sense. You can close your eyes and pick. But I guess I went with Steph because Steph is kind of uh, revolutionized the sport. You know he—he's one of those you know, Mount Rushmores from the sense of changing the game, um, the way he has. And so I—I I give him that little, that
0: little nod. Do you care where you're ranked on these lists, all-time list? I think your ESPN had the top 100. You're 26th.
2: No, I no no no. That's all subjective. I mean, that you know it depends on what day. How do you wake up? Was your coffee bitter that day? Did you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't—I don't worry about that. But you do want to be named. You know, for me, being named on the top seventy-five, that was important. That was very important for me to to be recognized as one of the greatest players to play the game. The the number that you put people, you know, that that right there can be a, a conversation and discussion that we would never hear the end of. But to be a part of that that elite group, that's special
0: for me. But you're competitive. Like, isn't there part of you that says I was better than him?
2: No 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 because like when you get up to that level you're 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 going against guys that you've never you never played against that you maybe had a chance to see play you know what I mean And that level of greatness these are players who some players I have never seen but then I'm right there with like Charles Barkley who I got to see play who I was a huge fan of and thought he was an amazing player right and so to me just to be in that discussion, Dan, I come from nothing. Like I come from the inner city of Chicago. You know, really, when they say you don't know, supposed to, like, how did I get here? i was supposed to be here. It's literally been a lot of things that's tried to knock me down and not allow me to, you know, to be standing here. So to be still standing and to be on that list, I don't care where you put me.
0: What was it like first time you met Jordan?
2: First time I met Michael Jordan, um, it was like a it was a scene out of a movie. Like I was at I was at my draft party in Chicago. And I'm in a party and I'm dancing. My cousin comes and tapped me on the shoulder. And he say, hey, they won't let Michael Jordan in. He's outside. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, stop playing with me. And he was like, no. He was looking on his face. And so we took off, we ran. And so I run outside, bust through the doors. And Michael Jordan is sitting outside on a motorcycle with about 30 or 40 dudes behind him. And it's like a scene out of a movie. And I'm walking closer and closer. And I'm like, "This is like, this is my idol. Like, this is Jordan. And he stopped by and he said he just wanted to show me some love. You know, I just got drafted. I'm from the city. He just wanted to show me some love.
0: Did you invite him in?
2: I did, but he was—he was like, "No, no, no." They already denied <laughs> me once. Like, <laughs>
0: well, we also brought this topic up. You can have Charles Barkley or Tim Duncan.
2: I'm taking Timmy D.
0: Yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah. He
2: liked he, Timmy D. liked Timmy D. like to pass. He liked to set screens. He, you know, he Charles was trying to get his buckets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know the thing is with Duncan is he's so great, but he nobody can remember a signature play really from him. You know, he would hit a turnaround bank shot or he, you know, he he there was just nothing flashy about him. But he did everything that you would want a basketball player to do, but people still look at him as a top ten, should he be a top ten player of all time?
2: Well, I mean for, for an odd In our generation as, you know, Powell Fords. I mean, you know, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, like these guys in our generation, I mean, they're the the cream of the crop. And so, you know, to be able – I played against Tim twice in the finals. And the consistency of that guy, the expressions that never change, (laughs) you know, the ability just to be able to, like, Move on to the next thing, you know. Keep your team, no matter if you lost in the finals. Getting your team back to the finals the next year when they played us in 2013. I mean, 2014. I mean, just the the greatness, you know, of Tim Duncan as a leader. Um, I got a chance to experience it, and it's and it's awesome.
0: Kevin Garnett yell at you on the floor.
2: Kevin Garnett yells at himself.
0: <laughs> Wait, what do you mean he's trying to fire himself up? He gets mad at himself.
2: Yeah, like I, I, I first, I think a lot of people think like trash talking and stuff is like because you see moments on TV when a guy get into it and maybe they get a technical foul, but like that is that don't that's so far in between. And KG would just talk to himself, and you think he's talking to you, he may be talking about you to himself, <laughs> but he's talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did Kobe talk to you?
2: You know, I was you want to tell you a funny story about Kobe when I first got in the NBA, like. One of my idols, Kobe Bryant, and I, I, my 10th game in the NBA, I get a chance to play the Lakers, and I eventually get switched off on Kobe, and I'm guarding him, and he's just like, he's just whistling. He's just making like, he making little noises, and I'm like, he don't even take me seriously. <laughs> now I'm scared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How scary was that when, you know, we talk about rhythm shooters, scores, and then once yeah. they get going, it's like, you, you know, you hold on for dear life.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, just guard Kobe, especially at the times where he wanted to shoot every shot and they was going to give him the ball every play. Try to guard him. A lot of my teammates got the switch off. I was like, hey, D. Right, go get Kobe.
0: But I can't imagine what the Raptors must have felt like when he put up 81
2: well, you yeah, know, we had to ask Chris Bosch about that. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I, I asked Jalen Rose every year on the anniversary of that. And he goes, I didn't guard him the whole time. I go, nobody was guarding him the whole time.
2: He, well, I think Jalen probably got like 40. He got about 40, 47. <laughs> uh, but I, can I say I love the way that Jalen has just, you know, jumped into the, the the funny of it. And the commercial that Kobe and Jalen did was <laughs> it's one of my favorite sports commercials if you know like, there's ever been just because of the moment and just like not taking themselves too seriously
0: <laughs> who can score 100 points in a game will we ever have that
2: i think i think we will um i don't know when um but it's a lot of guys that can score 100 points in a game <laughs> we got kevin kevin Durant can score 100 points in a game like uh, these guys can score i mean there's so many in the nba that could fill it up um, you know, especially Steph Curry, Steph Curry can possibly score a hundred points in a game. Right. But you know, the game is, a, is played a little different now. Guys are playing way less minutes now, um, than, than they were because the game is so much faster. So, but I, from a talent standpoint, yeah.
0: See, I see Clay Thompson maybe getting it. Uh,
2: well, you could score 60 with like three dribbles. <laughs>
0: I know. That's pretty, right? pretty amazing. If you have Steph out there, what's, what's your LeBron story that you'll, you'll tell?
2: I mean, I, I will have. I'm lucky enough to have plenty, right? Uh, but I, I think for me, and when I think about from a basketball standpoint, I just think. Of, I think if you haven't seen him away from the TV, if you haven't seen him in practice, if you haven't seen him on off days. If you haven't seen him that way, you you don't know the greatness of this guy. You get to see you get to see highlights and moments of uh, two hours of him. But if you are behind the scenes, you get to see every day of him. And that's the greatness. And that's what's special. The way that this guy take care of himself, take cares of himself, the way that this guy takes like literally takes no days off from the sense of he's either working on his body, he's working on his mind, he's working on his game. Uh, it's just impressive. You know, I watched the guy practice, you know, and do things in practice that you would never probably see him doing the game. And that's the way he approached every day. So it's, it's, it's so special.
0: What, uh, what kind of athlete is your wife?
2: Hmm. If you let her tell it, let my wife tell it. She's, um, she can do all she can quarterback. She can shoot free throws. She can, she's a point guard. She's, he played soccer growing up, but ultimately she's just a weekend warrior. That's all she is at this point.
0: Yeah. (laughs) When's the last time you played a pickup game?
2: I don't, no, 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 no. I don't play pickup. I don't, I don't play basketball. You're done. Yeah, like I, I shoot jumpers, like with my son. <laughs> like I go in the gym and I'm done. I think what's so good about it and what allows me to be able to be done is that I do have a son who is in the game. And I'm able to part, you know, all my information and my knowledge and my experience and all my stories. He's willing to listen to him. And so I'm willing to give him all, you know, all of my basketball juices because my body hurt. My last couple of years, my body was hurt. And, yeah. and physically, it took a toll on me. Mentally, it took a toll on me. And uh, I don't want that life
0: no more. I'll leave you with this. And I don't know if I ever told you this. When I was handing the uh, NBA title uh, to you, uh, you were the MVP. Shaq's behind me. And Shaq goes, hey. He always, called, he always thought I was Craig Sager. Hey, Sager, Sager, <laughs> let, me, let, 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 let me hand a trophy to the little guy. And so Shaq grabbed the MVP. He wanted to hand you that MVP trophy. It meant You meant that much to him, and, and he wanted that moment there. So
2: I'm so I'm so glad he did. Um, I remember that moment. I remember f- like winning the championship and being in the back of the line and everybody was like, yo, D, go to the front, go to the front. I'm like, why are they like, yo, you about to get MVP? And I remember seeing Shaq grab the trophy and hand it all to me. And at that moment, I just remembered everything he told me, like Shaq told me I was going to be one of the greatest to play the game. Shaq told me I was one of the best in the game. And for it to be one year after he came to be able to be hosting up not only an NBA championship, but a finals MVP trophy at 24 years old.
0: Like, (laughs) thank you. Pretty good. Did he ever run around practice naked? All the time. Yeah, I know. (laughs) There, (laughs) there, There are a lot of guys who are scarred for life because Shaq would come out and run around the practice naked.
2: Yeah, he never got me, but he got a lot of guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, love the book. Congratulations, and uh, always great to catch up with you.
2: Man, thank you. I appreciate it. Or wherever you get your podcast.
0: He's Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, and uh, he has a new book. It call, it's called uh, Wish It Lasted Forever Life with Larry Birds, Celtics, now available online wherever books are sold. Really disappointed in you, Dan, with this book because I wish it could have lasted forever. It, it, it's a shorter book. Like I breezed through it. There were so many great stories, and I kind of went to the end. I go,
3: damn, you know, I needed more out of you, Dan. You let me down. Well, that's really nice of you, Deanna. Thanks for for going through it. And Bill Walton, of course, named it. And Bill really wishes it lasted forever because we know his career could have been so much more. But he had this one gift at the end of his career, the 1985-86 season where Bill Walton comes to Boston. He got 80 games in. That was it. He played 10 games the next year, and then he retired and you hit his feet fused and all that stuff. But Bill said, he said, you know, empty the thesaurus when you write this, Dan. He said, this is like, I wish this could have lasted forever everything was great you cannot overstate how great this was hey this is a hop back in the way back machine it's you know you watch the nba today and i sometimes long for the 80s i was there when larry and magic came in in 79 kind of rescued the league and then of course michael comes in in 84 and leading up the dream team but this was this this jumped out at me dan during the pandemic you know when when you know we're seeing the the espn classics and 30 for 30 on celtics lakers and and here in Boston with no games going on they're running the 80s classic Celtics and it's all we had and i keep seeing my 30-year-old self sitting at the table back in the day when they they allowed the lowly media to sit in those seats at the nail cell for $5,000 so we were there and uh, we had access that is never going to be replicated we were able to tell the readers and the fans what these guys were like it was a very fascinating magnetic team a talented bird michael parish dj you know five hall of famers they went to the finals four straight years. They were fun, and we lived with them. I mean, Dan, you know, hotels, buses, airports, waiting for bags, flying commercial. Uh, this was when, when the reporters went to the COVID bubble in 2020, they had to sign a waiver saying they would not approach anyone if they saw them away from the facility. That's why we did all of our best work. I mean, the moat has gotten so wide. Here in Boston, we don't know what's going on with Smart and Tatum and Brown because nobody can get near them. In those days, we could tell you, they're mad at Fitch. They don't like what the coach is doing right now. They need to change there. Casey Jones, bring him on, that kind of thing. It's nobody's fault. It's evolution, the way things have gone. But that was kind of what motivated the book. And thank you for perusing through it and getting some of those fun stories back in your head.
0: Was it a 30 for 30 or a last dance? Could you see that possibility? I mean, it's a shorter time frame with, with these guys and not as successful. But I was I was wondering if there's enough, it feels like with the stories you tell, and there's a little more drama you know, woven in there. But do you yeah. think there's a last dance feel to the uh, the Celtics of the '80s?
3: I always do. I mean, again, the personalities were so strong. One thing is, I went from that Celtic team. Yeah, they were fifty and one at home, Dan, the last year, fifty and one at home. And I went to Major League Baseball to the Red Sox clubhouse the same wow. year as a beat reporter, and it just struck me how different it was the climate in there. And I got Bruce Hurst in the book to talk about that. Because, you know, he almost won the seventh game of the World Series with those 86 Sox. And they were a sour bunch. And he said, in general, baseball was a sour bunch because Bruce Hurst knew the Celtics because he was friends with Danny Ainge. They had played Major League Baseball uh, together and against each other. He would come to practice. He knew McHale. He knew Bird. He knew Parrish. And he said, he said, in our clubhouse, you know, we harbor personal feelings and there's insecurities and we compete against each other to get to the big leagues. It's kind of ingrained in the culture. He says, those Celtics, they were so secure in their own greatness. There was none of this, who's getting more touches. They had fun. They had fun at practice competing against each other. They knew how great they were. And this all comes out, you know, the kind of trash talking you're talking about with guys whistling. And, I mean, Bird, that's Bird walking into the three-point contest, the first one ever, and saying, which one of you guys is going to finish second? I mean, that's Bird telling the New York Knicks trainer he's banking three-pointers during, during a warm-up before Knicks came. And the trainer said it was Saunders. He said, you can't do that in a game larry said so give me five bucks i will and then he, he banked one in at the end of a game and ran down by the bench with his palm out looking for his five bucks i mean he was pool hustling during the games
0: uh the story about xavier mcdaniel is that true where larry after a timeout tells x what he's going to do
3: yeah jackie mcmullen tells that one really well which is you know i'm going to do this i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and then he would do all those things was uh there was a game in portland he was doing that it was near the end and he said you better get somebody over here they were getting ready to inbound they weren't listening he pointed and then he took the ball he drained a three and then he pointed again coming off he said i told you what you should have done (laughs) that was just you know quinn buckner told me that he could there was a game called knockout you know just two guys shooting around in a gym and quinn said he could, he could knock your ball away from the basket and make his shot with the same ball. He was playing basketball and pool at the same time.
0: What if social media was around?
3: I'll tell you, it changes a lot. And again, not in a good way, in my view. I mean, there was a level of comfort with those guys. I didn't make plans. Let's go to dinner. Let's go have drinks. But you would bump into each other, and it was okay. So, in fact, one night, Larry picked up the tab. But it was like a total eclipse of the sun. I couldn't believe it. But <laughs> most of the time, it was just casual... And I think that that casualness is lost with social media and they don't need us anymore. I mean, we're totally, yeah. nobody wants to talk to us anymore. I understand that they got, you know, social media, they got TikTok, they got whatever they got. And, you know, connect, they got the player's journal connect with their own fans. And uh, we're just, now we're old guys, but back then we were all the same age. And uh, the money wasn't as great. We lived together. The moat wasn't there and there was a little bit of trust, but still there were times I had to violate that trust when Larry got in his barroom fight messed up his hand for the playoffs and he wasn't too happy about that. That's just the job.
0: But that's the tricky part And I've mentioned on the show. I got too close to Mark McGuire. I got too close to Jason Jones Yeah. and you still have to cover them. And I just, I made it a point that I was never going to allow myself to get that close. Was there any part of you at that time that you want to be close to him? Gives you access, but Can you report on everything you're supposed to report on?
3: You can't do both. And again, you don't need to be talking about how how many beers somebody had the night before the game, unless there are no condition to play, in which case we we would talk about it. McHale had a pack of guys who would drive down from the Iron Range. There was no team in Minneapolis, but there was a team in Milwaukee. This Winnebago would park outside the Hyatt and when the Celtics were going to play the Bucks, Don Nelson wanted to hire a suite for these guys because they would take McHale and Bird and Buckner and those guys out. There was a game where the the bucks it was a noontime start think about that in milwaukee and the night before on a saturday night the minnesota crew from from down from the iron range got all the celtics wasted and they got beat they got beat badly and mikhail shot a donut he was 0 for 8 or something and casey jones knew enough not to yell everybody knew what had happened casey put his arm around kevin and said those guys aren't coming to Chicago, are they? Because we can't have this happen. <laughs> and McH- when I talked to Mikhail about it, he said, just hearing those names, my liver starts hurting, just hearing those names of my friends who come down there.
0: Well, didn't the Bulls cheerleaders buy Bird and, the, you know, uh, Roby and those guys beers one night before a playoff game? And, and and the Celtics won, and Larry walked off the floor and said, thanks for the beers with the
3: with- – I. I- I cannot attest to that one. And Roby was Roby was traded for Dennis Johnson, by the way, which was he got a Hall of Fame guard for Rick Roby who played about ten games after that. But he was traded in part because he was Larry's running mate at night, and that was a, it was a dual purpose trade to get Dennis Johnson and to get Roby the hell away <laughs> from Larry Bird, and it, it worked on both levels magically for everybody.
0: weren't they the Were they the uh, Bruise Brothers or? Oh, what is it? Buckner they, and Roby and Bird. And I thought they had a nickname for uh, their
3: crew. There were a lot of nicknames. I don't know that one, but they, uh, uh, they, they, they socialized and, and it was, you know, they had all been great college players at the same time. Larry was always jealous of Roby because Larry wanted to go to Kentucky when he was in high school. And Joe B. Hall didn't think he could get a shot off in the sec. Instead they get Rick Roby, who was even slower, but they won a championship <laughs> with him. And uh, Larry, any time we'd be out, you know, and somebody come over from University of Kentucky and shake Rick Roby's hand, Larry would say, that's the first time Rick Roby ever shook hands, didn't have a $20 bill on the other
0: hand. <laughs> We're talking to Dan Shaughnessy. The book is Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. That'll be your reaction after you read it. You'll wish that it lasted longer. Available online wherever books are sold. I didn't understand, or I wasn't aware of the kind of um, the undercurrent there with Cornbread Maxwell. And him and Kevin McHale, that Kevin takes his role and, you know, Cornbread Maxwell, you know, almost to the detriment of the team, uh, you know, just wasn't the same player, didn't care as much as uh, he did when he was starting.
3: The curve on Max, I mean, he was, he was the man when the Celtics were bad before Bird and McHale and Paris, all those guys got there. You know, when Havlicek was finishing up and they got bad in the late 70s, uh, Max was the guy. You know, he, he had been a Final Four player in North Carolina Charlotte he comes to Boston he's the man all of a sudden these guys start coming in and his touches went down and His he shots went down every year he was in the NBA I mean every year Bird comes in then McHale comes in Maxwell you know, Bill Fitch takes him aside and says who do you think is going to be guard the, the, the scoring forward of the other team now that's going to be you Cedric you know you're no, no longer the offensive force and he got his job done incredibly he was clutch he's the MVP of the finals in 81 before, you know, when Bird's his second year in the league and the MVP is Maxwell. And then in 84, Maxwell scored 24 points in game seven against the Lakers. It was his high game of the season it was game seven of the finals. He never got 24 all year, but that game, he said, hop in my back, boys, we'll bring it on home. He outplayed James Worthy. He got inside their heads. He was the guy. Unfortunately, he hurt his knee after that. And that's where the transition comes in where he can't play anymore. McHale goes from six man and starts playing. Mikael gets 56 in one game against the Pistons. And Max goes, I don't think I'm going to be starting anymore. <laughs> and that was it. And, and you know, there was questions about how hard he rehabbed. There was a little bit of hard feelings about that. But, I mean, hey, Maxwell, his, his number's up in the Raptors. And, and he's, he's, one of, he's one of the great voices in this book because he just tells you the truth about everything.
0: If Bird had stayed healthy, finish that.
3: Well, I think you get a few more years, but he played hard. And guys who play like that, careers. I mean, we see it in baseball all the time, but it's just, it's hard to have a long career. You're diving on the floor. McHale didn't dive on the floor, but McHale played with a broken foot in the 87 finals. So those injuries really by today's standards, they were together a long, long time. They went to four consecutive finals together. They were in five finals. They won three championships and red always thought he might have kept them together a little bit too long and and ran through it longer than he should have instead of making deals. So they, by today's standards, it's still a long run. You know, Larry's from 79 to 92. That's still a pretty good run. But again, it's not LeBron James doing what he does now.
0: Yeah, but, you know, and then you had Lenny Bias dying, uh, Reggie yeah. Lewis. Like they, they, Red had it, so the transition was going to be pretty smooth where the whole, you know, the, the youth movement coming in was going to be able to handle any athletes they were going to face with the Lakers or Pistons or Bulls.
3: Yeah, Red knew his team was getting old when they won the championship in 86 and they went 50 and one at home. No one's going to do that again. So he also ends up getting the best player in the country because he had traded Gerald Henderson, a starting guard two years earlier, thinking Seattle was going to go bad. The lottery came in. They got number two. They got Len Bias. It was all teed up. Len Bias, Red used to have counselors at his summer camp. Bias had been a counselor for a couple of years, so they knew exactly Mm -hmm. what they were getting because Bias had basically been working out for him for two summers. And, you know, Rick Carlisle had played with him in the ACC. Everybody knew what they were getting with that guy. And then, you know, he drops dead the day after the draft, cocaine intoxication, and the Celtics never recovered from that. It was They didn't win again until 2008 when Danny Ainge was the GM. So it, it, it broke it broke down. McHale had to play with a broken foot. Too many minutes for Parrish Bird. Walton's all done, and it just it started to crumble in the late 80s.
0: When I was working at CNN in New York in the mid-80s, and I would get to come up, for the NBA finals and I'd get there. And if it was that Sunday and the game was played later on, and I'd go in there when Larry was shooting, I'd just sneak into the building and I would just, it was cathartic. I loved hearing the dribble and I loved hearing the net and he never knew I was in there, but I went in there a couple of times and I was worried that he was going to see me. And then, you know, he would stop or whatever it might be, but no one's in there. Just somebody rebounding for him, and he just dribble, dribble, whoosh, dribble, dribble, whoosh, and it was just – it was wonderful. It really was. Yeah,
3: that was, a, that was a routine at the Garden, about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. I was an early guy. I'd set up early. The Garden would be dark, be a little bit of light by that court. The, the, the equipment guy was Joe Cotato. Larry would come out. He brought him to Indiana when he went there, and loved this guy, the equipment guy, and uh, Larry do the perimeter, and I'd be setting up in my Stone Age computer porter bubble on the sideline right next to the bench when they used to let us sit in those seats. The lowly riders had those seats next to the bench. And Larry, you know, he liked to break chops. He'd come over, and uh, if he missed a shot during that thing, he'd say that the Bull Gang set up the, the rims. Something wrong with the rim. You know, otherwise, that, that would have gone in. And uh, he'd come over and he'd say, what are you working on, Scoop? And I'd say, well, I'm doing an early edition newspaper story about your free throw streak. He was coming up on Calvin Murphy's 88 consecutive free throws. I'm like, so don't miss one in the first half because this paper's going to go up to Maine. It's going to look stupid if they open it up tomorrow morning and you miss (laughs) when I'm writing about the streak. This is how it works. Sure enough, first half, he goes to the line for two and the foul line is lined up right where we're sitting. If he looks over, he makes the first one. He looks over and winks at me between free throws and then, of course, makes the second one. (laughs) So all was good. But he was always thinking about these things. It's like paying off a bet in the middle of a game. He was doing two things at once.
0: I sat down with him when his career was over, and I went up to Boston. And Brad Lojas said, "Hey, if you want to get on Larry's good side, bring him up a cooler and a six uh, six pack of beer." And so I stopped and got a cooler that was like three dollars, and I got a six pack. And I said, uh, "Here." And he goes, "What is it? A fish?" And I go, "No, it's 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 beer." I said, "Brad Lojas told me to get this for you." He goes, "Can I?" can I keep the cooler? And I said, yes, you can. It was a $3 cooler, styrofoam cooler. And I go, I don't think it helped me with the interview, but it was just, you know, that was the mentality of bird. There's like, all right, beer cooler. Can I have it? This is all right. I'm good with this. That was
3: the mentality. He used to go to matinees after practice at at the Greek Orthodox college. They practice in Brookline would say, Larry, how come you go to matinees? He says, It's cheaper, cheaper in the (laughs) afternoon. So, yeah,
0: he meant it. Uh, By the way, how strong is the Mac Jones love in uh, New England? Oh, my
3: God. You are all over. I mean, I loved it from the start. They couldn't have known, you know, he would outperform all the other quarterbacks to this stage. He was 19 for 23 the other day. They've won four in a row. They got the Titans game. They got the Atlanta this Thursday, and then the Titans are coming in here. That that game, I don't know if that's going to get flexed to the prime time or not, but that's a bit's a big deal. Now this feels really good, Dan, because it's it's different and 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 it wasn't expected. It's it's ahead of schedule. And rookie quarterback, we all know Bill hates him and he's made a beast off him over the last twenty years. So he's got one of his own now and they're managing it. It's really fascinating to watch it it, it evolve.
0: Congrats on the book. And I meant when I said I wish the book was longer. It was uh, that good telling stories and uh you know taking a trip down memory lane. Thank you, Dan.
3: Thank you, Dan. Take care.